Please get your Bibles out. Turn to Isaiah chapter 58. We will be looking at verses 8 through 12 this morning as we end our study on Isaiah 58. We'll continue our series on God's chosen fast as we'll look at the New Testament and what it says about fasting uh, next couple of weeks. But I wanted to begin by just kind of talking about the coronavirus and kind of what is all the rage right now in our communities. We are all desiring to be out of quarantine, excuse me, and to kind of get back to some sense of normalcy. And so all the rage right now is to talk about antibodies. If you look uh, on the internet or on the news in the evenings, that's, there's a race, <laughs> a race to develop a treatment for COVID-19. And the focus, at least for the researchers, has been on antibodies. On March 30th, if you recall, a CBS News report entitled Antibodies from Blood of Recovered COVID-19 Patients May Be Key to Fighting Coronavirus. This idea isn't new. It came out of the, make sure I say this right, the 1918 influenza epidemic. And basically they would take blood, blood plasma from one person and give it to another um, and hopefully improve the outcomes. A month later, April 30th, a Time Magazine article reported a similar story, story where they were, it says this, blood plasma treatment for coronavirus set to get its first trial run in New York. So they're already doing this. Now because of the early success of antibody treatment, antibody tests are becoming widely available. But what is the antibody test? Well, it's a test that, to see if your body has antibodies in it. It's not a test to see if you've been infected or have the coronavirus, but to see if your immune system, your body's defense mechanism, has produced antibodies. Now, the point is this. To fight the disease of the coronavirus, antibodies are the prescription. You're at home watching this. Does anybody recognize this man? I'm sure some of you do. This is Bill Host. In this picture, I believe he is at least 88 years old. Now, he doesn't look like it, but he died June 15, 2011, at the age of 100 years old at his home in Punta Garda, Florida. Now, if you look at this man, you wouldn't know by looking at him, but he looks like he's roughly about 65 to 70 years old. You may not recognize his name at first, but I tell you that he is known as the Snake Man. You might remember his name. Since 1946, Bill Host ran a Florida roadside attraction called the Miami Serpentarium. Now catch this, five times a day, in front of an audience, he would extract venom from the world's deadliest snakes. You want to guess how many times he has been bitten? 172 times. By the 1990s, he was providing, listen to this, 36,000 samples of venom to pharmaceutical companies and laboratories each year. 
He owned as many as 10,000 snakes. Now, snake bites were a constant or common occupational hazard for Mr. Haas, and he, this led him to adopt an unusual regimen of self-medication. On September 18, 1948, listen to this, he began to inject himself with diluted amounts of cobra venom one of the most deadly venoms in the world. And he gradually increased these doses over time. And the result, he developed antibodies to resist snake bites. He eventually became immune to most snake bites. Now, he faced perhaps his most frightening challenge in 1954. He was bitten by a blue crate an Asian snake that is among the most highly poisonous in the world. Now he says this, I had never heard of a crate bite victim ever surviving. He said every, I, I felt like my skin had been stripped off my body. Like every nerve in my teeth was exposed. Like my hair was being ripped out of my head. He hallucinated because of the bite. He had visions of lamb's heads and purple curtains. But he soon recovered and he went back to work. Ten days later, the snake died. Now in time, Mr. Host's venom-enriched blood became, or came to possess healing properties. Transfusions from his blood helped save the lives of more than 20 snake bite victims around the globe. And to fight, and this is the point, to fight the deadly poison of a snake bite, anti-venom drugs created from antibodies is a prescription. Are you with me so far? In Isaiah chapter 58, God's people are infected with the disease of hypocrisy and a hardened heart. Their worship of God, and specifically fasting, but not just limited to fasting, but their worship of God, it left them harsh with workers, self-indulgent in other areas of their lives, and so contentious with others that they were angry enough for a fist fight. In this sermon, I have tried to make this passage, Isaiah chapter 58, relevant to us in our time in 2020. Here is one of my attempts, and I want you to listen to me very carefully. No worship of God, no preaching, no singing, no giving, no playing of instruments, no praying, no fasting, however intense and however beautiful, that leaves us harsh with those we work with on Monday, or contentious with our spouses at home, or self-indulgent in other areas of our lives, or even angry enough to hit somebody. No worship or fasting that leaves us like that 
is true, God-pleasing worship. Now, to fight this deadly poison of the soul, God prescribes an antidote. To fight off religious hypocrisy, God asks them a series of rhetorical questions. The purpose of those rhetorical questions is to get them to examine their hearts, to examine their motives, to take off their masks of religious pretense, and to engage in righteous living. He says, use your freedom to liberate others, not to oppress others. Make sure the inside, what's in the heart, is consistent with what is on the outside. Make sure they match. God tells them that the prescription for a calloused heart that is full of contempt for the oppressed and the poor is sympathy. Put yourself in the place of the hungry. Put yourself in the place of the oppressed workers. Empathize with them. Feel what they feel. And your heart will be softened. This is a doctor's prescription. If they stick to his plan, they will get well and they'll experience the blessings and rewards of God's fast. But I want to remind us that when we read this passage, Isaiah chapter 58, the first 12 verses, it is unmistakable, it is undeniable, the very heart of God in this passage. His heart is for the poor. Luke 4.18, Jesus said this, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to who? The poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden. In Matthew 25, verse 35, he says this, I was hungry, remember this? I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Folks, that sounds almost word for word like Isaiah chapter 58. It's the heart of God. It's the heart of our Savior is for the poor, for the weak, for the destitute, for the oppressed. So get your Bibles out. Turn to Isaiah chapter 58, verses 8 through 12. And we're going to look at the rewards of God's chosen fast. The rewards of God's chosen fast. Verse 8. It says, then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. I want you to think this morning of the church as a hospital. Because again, I want to make this, this passage relevant to our time. If the church is a hospital, then God is a doctor. Here is his diagnosis. 
The people are in darkness. They are blinded by their hypocrisy. The people are sick. They're infected with a disease of hypocrisy and a calloused, hard, cold heart. The people are lost in their ignorance. Their hardened hearts darken their understanding. The people are vulnerable. It's a consequence for disobedience to their covenant with God. And the people are alone. Their sin has driven away the presence of God in their lives. Now, not surprising, his prescription is an antidote, the opposite of their sickness. What does God prescribe them in Isaiah 58 through the first half of chapter 9? He prescribes them light, healing, guidance, protection, and presence. Now, to bring this Old Testament passage to the 21st century... Let me suggest to you this morning that these pictures of light, healing, guidance, protection, and presence are a picture of a spirit-filled believer. One who submits to Jesus as Lord and is controlled by the Holy Spirit. Let me take us a little deeper with this. In Matthew 4, 16, this is what Jesus said that the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. This is Jesus Christ speaking to people early in his ministry. I want you to see this. The very presence of Jesus is light. Matthew 5, 14 and 16, Matthew wrote this. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So the presence of Jesus is light. In this passage, we see that we are the light of the world. Our works, flowing out of a spirit-filled heart, or a light that shines to the glory of God. And Ephesians 2.22 tells us that in him we are being built into a dwelling place, a habitation of God by the Spirit. So God is present with his people. Let me summarize all three verses for a moment here. Jesus is light, and he lives within us, his children. When we are filled with the Spirit... And Jesus begins to live his life through us. Our works are light and a witness that glorifies God. Now let me translate this into the context of Isaiah 58. Because God has prescribed to them light and healing and guidance and protection in his presence. In essence, what he is saying to the, the people of Israel in Isaiah 58 is this. If you would just put away all of your anger, your malice, your strife, all the contention, the arguing, all the slander. Then when you fast, when my people fast in obedience to my requirements, blessings shall break forth like the dawn and dispel the darkness that the people have brought upon themselves. 
Paul said this in Ephesians 4.31. Again, remember this. God's telling the people in Isaiah 58, put away the anger, the slander, the malice, the bitterness, all of that. This is Ephesians 4.31. Paul's words to spirit-filled Christians. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So the same thing that the people of Israel in Isaiah 58 are wrestling with, it's the same thing that we deal with in our lives. The Ephesians, apparently, were struggling with this very same problem. Put it away. It is a sign of a spirit-filled believer. And if we fast like this, this is God's word to his people, to us today and to the people of Isaiah 58, if we fast like this, put away all those things. Now watch this. What does it say? The darkness in our life will become light. It's not just that. There's healing. And your healing shall spring up speedily. You fast like God fasts. You follow his requirements for fasting. You will find rapid healing of broken relationships, of personal, physical wounds, both on a national and a personal level. The blessings continue. The rewards continue. Your righteousness shall go before you. Folks, that's a picture of guidance. The righteous deeds of the people are to go before them, and what this does is it lights the path. Now, let me explain to you this. What I mean is, how is this guidance? How is my righteousness that goes before me guidance? Well, you really kind of already know the answer to this, and you've experienced it before, is my guess. Think about this. When you discern God's will for a particular area of your life, yeah, you may use your reason, and you may look at circumstances and so on, and unless you have a, a vision from the Lord or an actual visitation from Him where you get specific guidance, you're left with kind of reading the, the signs and, and spending time with the Lord and trying to discern His voice in your life. But ultimately, it seems that we most always, almost always rely upon one thing, and that is peace. We say, I have a peace about my decision. And I take that as a sign that this is God's will for me to go down this particular path. This is God's will. Now, Isaiah has already told the people this in Isaiah 55, 12. Just listen to this. For you shall go out in joy, and watch this, and be led forth in peace. See, peace is what accompanies a righteous life. It is the byproduct as well of someone who is filled with the Spirit. What are the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, and peace amongst others. Now we know for us today that guidance is a promise of a Spirit-filled believer. It's the role of the Holy Spirit. John 16, 13 and 14. When the Spirit of truth comes, what does He do? He will guide you into all the truth. He will declare to you the things that are to come. So if the people in Isaiah's time would put away all those things, then what will happen? 
They'll have light. The darkness in their lives will become light. They'll have healing, and they'll have guidance. For us today, filled with God's Spirit, we have light. We have God with us. We have guidance in the form of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't just end there. These rewards continue. What else is promised? Well, God's protection is promised. It says, the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. You see that? Now, Isaiah had already spoken this to his people as well. He says, you not show, Isaiah 52, 12, you, you don't go out in haste. You're not going to go out in a flight. The Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. This puts a picture in our mind, if you know your Bible, and you've gone to Sunday school and so on, of the exodus from Egypt. A cloud by day and a pillow of fire at night, and when they crossed the Red Sea, what happened? The Egyptians were following. The pillar of fire was their rear guard, and it protected them. That's the image we think of, of when it says, the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. It's just the idea of protection. God promises to protect his people. Let me give you a more recent example. You may recall the Joplin, Missouri tornadoes back in 2011. On Sunday, May 22nd, 2011, tornadoes ripped through the town of Joplin, Missouri, killing 158 people, and it caused damages amounting to a total of $2.8 billion. It ranks as the costliest single tornado in U.S. history. Now, Trevor Fries of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association writes a story of God's protection in Joplin, Missouri. A woman named Cheryl saw the storm coming and was determined to outdrive it. She had picked up her two daughters who were out celebrating a high school graduation in Joplin and was driving away from the storm. Only her compass was backwards, and she was actually driving squarely into it. Billy Graham Rapid Response Team Chaplain Pam Rhodes was fortunate to hear Cheryl's gripping story and pray for her family. The details of Cheryl's rescue have God's fingerprints smudged all over it. Her story goes like this. A half a mile from home, rain started hammering down in a deluge, coming down so hard it was as if she was in a car wash. There could be no other explanation for the magnitude of winds and rain bearing down. Cheryl realized she was in the midst of a massive tornado. I believe, if my memory serves me correctly, it ended up being an F5 tornado. At that moment, Cheryl felt the Lord telling her to pull over. After pulling over, almost immediately, the windows blew out. She pushed her daughters down and began to pray. But this is where the story really takes a God turn. As Cheryl describes it, there was an unexplainable force keeping all three of their heads down, and it saved them because there were a multitude of shards of glass and wood and other things that just punctured the van. 
And suddenly there was a peace that passed over. Cheryl and her two daughters were now in the vortex. And she could hear the Lord telling her, your daughters are going to be safe. A split second later, the winds and rain picked up. In the blink of an eye, the van was whipped up into the twister, landing on the top of a roof that had been torn off a building. Smashed in a van, covered by debris, and wrapped in power lines, Cheryl thinks she encountered an angel. Almost immediately, a man came up. He had no debris on him. I could just feel his presence. There was this overwhelming peace. He came and said he was going to help them get out of the car. He said, you don't have to be afraid. And he rescued them. And as quickly as he appeared, he vanished. Yeah, God protects his people. We have light, we have healing, we have guidance, and we have protection. Now those are quite, quite some rewards from fasting God's way. And so I'm trying to get us to see there what is a part of, for us today, the, the life, the experience of a spirit-filled believer. Now, of these rewards, the light, the healing, the guidance, and protection, they are, are awesome, aren't they? But they all stand, in my opinion, a distant second to his last blessing mentioned, and that is his presence. It says, then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. God himself will be present with the people in response to their prayers. Remember, they had prayed in vain earlier because their motives were impure. Their treatment of those weaker than themselves showed that they did not really know their God. Why would he manifest his presence to these kind of people? But to those who by their lifestyle show his character, Folks, he is abundantly present. Now verses, the last half of verse 9 through verse 12 are going to expand upon what has already been said. Last half of verse 9. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. In other words, use your freedom to liberate others. Don't gesture and speak in ways that show callous contempt for others. Like any prescription, he is saying, it must be followed or there will be no blessing. The promises of God are contingent upon change. Again, the promises of God are contingent upon change. Now here's one more condition that must be met. Verse 10. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then so your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. You see, in this fasting, we're called not just to give food, but to give ourselves. Pouring out yourself, or you're pouring yourself out for the hungry, and satisfying the desire of the afflicted, 
Folks, that basically means to share of oneself by sympathizing, comforting, bearing the burdens of those afflicted with inward pain. And let me once again draw you back to the New Testament and Paul's charge to the spirit-filled believers in his letter to the Ephesians. You may recall that after describing our position in Christ in chapters 1 through 3, and all the heavenly resources available to us, before he instructs the Ephesians any further, he says this, you need power. That's why his prayer is Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. We've been over this before. You need to be empowered by the Spirit. In chapters 4, immediately, Ephesians 1 through 3, chapters 1 through 3, all the resources, all your position in Christ, all that you have in Christ. Chapters 4 through 6, what you do, how you live out and use all these resources. And in chapters 4 through 6, this is what the Spirit-filled life looks like. Here is how it begins, verses 1 and 2. The very first thing that Paul says, and how to live out the spirit-filled life, he says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, all that you have in Christ, he says this, to which you've been called. And watch this. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. This is the same thing that God is calling the people to do in Isaiah 58. Pour yourself out to others. Bear with them. Be patient with them. Empathize with them. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. He says, now catch this, if you do this, the darkness in your life, and let me explain what that means. The darkness in your life are the difficult circumstances you go through, the tests, the trials, the hard times. He says what? The darkness in your life will be overcome by light. That means that God, because he's with you, he will walk with you through these trying circumstances to bring about good. Romans 8.28, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. But don't just, it doesn't just stop there. The blessings continue. Even the gloom, he says this, did you see that? Even your gloom will be as noonday, meaning it will be as light. Now what does that mean and how can that be? Well, who is with you? Yeah, you have light, you have healing, you have guidance, you have protection, but you have his presence. Because God will be present with the people. That's how it's possible for your gloom to be noonday or to be light. His presence brings light into your life because he is light and in him, there is no darkness at all. Think about that for a moment. Because of his presence, the harsh circumstances that we go through are light. 
if we obey God. If we pour ourselves out, both physically and in, in providing physical to the poor, to the weak, to the needy, to the destitute, and also we, we pour ourselves out. Your darkness will be like light because he is with you. Because of his presence, we always have hope and confidence. And let me tie it back to what I said earlier. They didn't have the presence of God in their life. He was in the Ark of the Covenant. We don't have that problem, do we? We are being built into a habitation of God. We have his presence with us. Folks, I'm not saying that the harsh times, the darkness of our lives are easy. No. But we have him with us. He will work all things together for the good. He will bring about good. And our darkness eventually will be turned to good, to light. And even while we're walking through it, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what happened? The presence of God was with them. They walked through the fire. I mean, these are some tremendous rewards of choosing a fast that is pleasing to God. And it doesn't stop there either. Because of his presence, I, we will always have hope. We always have confidence. And that is particularly relevant right now. I don't know if you're, you're probably, we're all home and with other believers, but some of us are still working or out with unbelievers, and they're a mess. They're anxious. They're concerned. Went to Costco this past Friday, and I went through the line, and I asked the ladies, it looks like, and I hope people kind of stop hoarding, from what I can see, and they shook their heads and said, no, people are still trying to hoard. We still have to restrict them. I just find that amazing and sad. But that's life without God. But that's not our life. We have his presence with us. And the presence is the key because the presence is what provides the light. The presence provides the healing. The presence provides the guidance. The presence provides the protection. And for us to fast, the fast of God's choosing, we're seeing what to do and the blessings that flow. And look how it continues, verse 11. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. This is such rich imagery. It was hard to contain in a short time what this means, but let me take us through it and give it my best shot. It says, and the Lord will guide you continually. Now, guidance has been mentioned before. I went over this. It's our righteousness, our righteous acts that go before us, and they lead us down the path of peace. But here it's something different. We have the Lord himself personally guiding us, and he does so continually. 
mean, it's one thing to, to get guidance or direction in one part of your life. And it's another thing to have another decision to make and to make the decision on your own. That's not the point here. You will always have him with you. You will always have his guidance available to you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, he says. He shall direct your paths. Again, this is another blessing of his presence that comes with following the fasting of God's choosing. The blessings continue, though. He will satisfy your desire in scorched places. The word desire is translated soul, so he will satisfy your soul in scorched places. Now, the people, if they've followed God's commands, they have satisfied the hungry soul of the afflicted. Not only do they provide physical food, but they also are being sympathetic with them. They're satisfying the soul of the afflicted. What happens? This promise is this, that the Lord will comfort and fill their souls in times of spiritual drought. Now, I want you to see this connection because it's very important. It is contrary to our thinking. Pouring ourselves out for the poor, and by poor I mean the destitute, the weak, the sick, the oppressed, is the path of deepest satisfaction. Pouring ourselves out for others is the path of deepest satisfaction. God says, I will satisfy your soul in those dry places. This is an assault on our selfishness. Do you see that? This is an assault on our sinful nature. This is totally counter to what we think. Blessings continue. What else? And make your bones strong. God is saying, you, 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 you do all this, I'm going to give you a physical strengthening. That's in essence what that means, to make your bones strong. It doesn't stop there. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Are you guys beginning to see the very heart of God, how good he is? I mean, you do these few things, he is abundantly blessing you. These are the rewards of a fasting of God's choosing. Let me explain this to you being like a watered garden. The person who has the light of God in his or her life, who is led by God, whose soul is refreshed in the deserts of life, and whose body is strengthened by him, will be a watered garden. This type of person who follows God's fast, in the context of Isaiah 58, they will have a rich supply of gifts for others. Now, I want you to keep in mind something. We talk about a watered garden, because this is in the context of a desert. Think about plant life in a desert. There's not a whole lot of plants. Because the extreme conditions of a desert, you find thorn bushes, and they consume all of their energy just to survive in a desert. You got that picture in your mind of a thorn bush in a desert? 
Okay? Now contrast that with a watered garden in a desert. It will have fruits and flowers to give out of the overflow of their abundance. Those who know the Lord, shown by their treatment of the poor, the weak, the oppressed, the afflicted, they will never lack. That's what this promise is saying. You will never lack in difficult times, the dry times, the desert times of our lives. And here is the paradoxical truth of Scripture. It's a, it's a paradoxical spiritual principle. It doesn't make sense to us, but it is true nonetheless. As you pour yourself out, you become full. As you pour yourself out, you become full. As you give away, you get more. When you are watered, when you are watered with God's grace, you do not merely become a wet, living garden. You become a spring. Folks, Isaiah 58, 11, that, I mean, that is a picture of a spirit-filled believer. Recall the words of Jesus, John 7, 38. Whoever believes in me, as the Scriptures has said, how's it go? Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. A spirit-filled believer, one who can experience all the blessings of this type of fast is to be a spiritual resource that others can drink from. Now, he says in John 7, 38, if I'm going to become this type of person, the issue is one of trust or of belief. He must believe in me. We are to allow the Holy Spirit in our lives to be an unfailing spring of spiritual water by which others are refreshed. Is that your life? Are people refreshed by being with you? They should be. That's what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. Again, as we give, we receive. And finally in verse 12, in your ancient ruin shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repair of their breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Ruin, destruction. They're not going to have the final saying in our lives, is what this is saying. It's what God is saying to these people who were exiles from Babylon and were to rebuild the temple and the wall. God will give us the power to restore and renew what was destroyed. The sins of the people led to their destruction. Now, by the grace of God, through their righteousness, God will be revealed. Through their righteousness, God will rebuild. So let's accept the fast that he has prescribed for us. It will mean light. It will mean healing. It will mean guidance. It will mean protection. 
It will mean his presence. It will bring refreshment. It will bring restoration. It will bring resourcefulness. Now, folks, all of this, all of those blessings I've explained, is with God himself before us, behind us, in our midst. And so I ask you, does it get any better than that? And the answer is unequivocally no. Isn't that what we all want? That is God's chosen fast. So as I close with the prayer this morning, it's time for us to begin to fast. I want you to ask God about fasting. I spent this last Thursday fasting for the day, a 24-hour period, for the startup of this opening of, uh, for Washington, for Auburn, and for the church. But ask God about fasting now. We know enough from these last three weeks to begin to fast. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your words to us this morning. I hope that the people see, as I have seen, how good you are. Your heart for the poor, but also your heart to pour out blessings upon your people as they walk righteously before you. To think that the dry times of our lives can be filled with you because you're with us. The darkness in our life will become light. The healing of our bodies, the energy you give us, the guidance that we have because of the Holy Spirit who is always with us, whose job is to guide us into the truth, the protection we have, the angels that surround us, the hedge of protection we have with them and with you, but most importantly, your presence that we have constantly with us, that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us. May our lives be characterized by those blessings. And as we fast in a manner that is pleasing to you, may you use us to bring you glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Have a blessed Sunday.